in our city. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. And you can turn to Revelation 2, uh, which is Jesus' letter to the church in Thyatira. I want to start this morning with a question, and that is this. Uh, for those of you who have made Chicago your place of, of residence and work, would you like to have a positive influence on our city? Would you like to have a positive, life-giving impact uh, on the systems and the structures uh, that reign in our city? Wouldn't it be amazing if one day, Chicago was no longer known for violence, no longer known for corruption, no longer known for segregation, no longer known for the exploitation of the weak? What if by the end of your life, Chicago was, was known for compassion? Chicago was known for integration, for beauty, for justice. What if it was like a, a, a gleaming uh, star for all other cities to look up to? What if we could be like Chicago? What if we could be a city um, that is beautiful and just and a good place to live in? no matter what your income level, no matter what your race, no matter what your religion, that is a just city. That is a beautiful city. Wouldn't it be amazing if by the end of your life you could look back and say, I took part in that. I was part of that project. I was part of that influence. If that's your desire, you're in the right place. Here at Emmanuel Anglican Church, we worship and follow Jesus Christ who has promised to do all of that for our city. He rose from the dead and he's present to our world. He's present to our city. And he's come and he's bringing beauty and justice and goodness and truth to our city and every town and city in the world. He stands against corruption and greed. He fights for the fatherless. He fights for the widow. He stands up for the marginalized. And we're called as God's people to share in that influence. Because Jesus hasn't come just to transform our hearts. He's come to, to transform the place where we live, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, everything around us. In fact, I want to give you a sneak peek at what he's, uh, he's come to do and what he's calling us to do. Actually, look at the end of the, uh, the letter to Thyatira. I think this is the next page, starting in verse 26 of Revelation 2. Just, uh, it's kind of like in some ways turning to the, to the end of the novel, as it were. To the one who conquers, this is the one who truly follows Jesus and who keeps my works until the end, to him or her I will give authority over the nations. And he or she will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even I, as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him or her the morning star. Now, you may have some questions after reading this. How just is this rule after all? Um, let's just be careful to note that Jesus is not talking about tyranny here. He's not just one more tyrant uh, who's eager to rack up civilian casualties. Okay, 
This is talking about the end of tyranny. These, um, uh, these earthen pots that are getting shattered to pieces, that's the brothels of our world. That's the mass incarceration of our world. That's the slavery of our world. Don't you want those things to end? Don't you want, in some ways want to be holding the rod, smashing that to pieces? Not unlike at the end of Office Space when they were smashing PC load letter to pieces. Don't you want to be a part of the project of the renewal of all things? Actually, actually taking a rod of iron to injustice, not to people, not to, not to, not to the weak. This is the end of tyranny. The rod of iron is strong enough to keep at bay tyranny and injustice and corruption out of the new city forever. Um, the earthen pots signify all that doesn't belong in there, all that doesn't belong in that new city, all that's unworthy. The corruption, the greed, the exploitation. This is every weapon that we know, ending young lives, getting turned into gardening tools. This is the end, the beautiful end of all the stories. And in many ways, the beginning of the ultimate story. And then Jesus refers to a morning star. I'll give to that person the morning star. The morning star is a beautiful light. It's a compelling light that helps us know true north. It helps us know uh, where we're called to. It helps us know what is good and not good. Not with judgmentalism, not with... Uh, moralism, not with religious arrogance, but with a compelling love. And that morning star is our inheritance as people who worship and follow Jesus. That's our influence wherever we go. We have it now, we will have it in full then. Wherever we live, wherever we create, wherever we work, Jesus has made us a light to the nations. Don't you want to be that light? Don't you want his influence? His influence is so good. His influence is so good. And when you see it, you know it. This is Jesus at work here, bringing justice, reconciling people who are enemies, ending corrupt practices forever. Don't you want to be a part of that? That's what we're all called to. Now, if you've tried this in Chicago you know it's not easy. You know this is not a cakewalk. This isn't automatic. There are headwinds when you go this direction. Headwinds. What starts out as, as influence uh, quickly becomes seduction. We, we, we started out attempting to influence and all of a sudden we find ourselves getting seduced. Seduction, we might, we might de- uh, define it this way. De- seduction is a painless transfer of what we love. A painless transfer of what we love. The existing values that make Chicago such a powerful city begin to press themselves on us and what we love in very pleasurable ways. And without even knowing it, we become part of the problem. We can become part of the scene, indistinguishable. Our identity as God's people, our mission as God's people, our integrity as God's people gets sanded away and shaped until it's no longer distinct. 
It gives way to something easier. It gives way to something much less controversial. So how can we influence our city without getting seduced by it? How can we adopt local customs without embracing local compromises? Because we aren't called to run and hide from Chicago. Um, we aren't called to run and hide into a, some kind of religious ghetto. We're called to be salt and light, up close, involved, influential, and it's not easy. This sermon and this church is devoted to you to help you answer that question, to help you on this journey, to give you insights, to give you relationship, and to be a place where you receive grace from Jesus Christ to give you strength you need to truly be a morning star in this city. We have a great example in the church of Thyatira. Not only the downsides and the possible pitfalls, but also the ultimate call for us to be a morning star for Chicago. So let's read about Thyatira. Verse 18, here's what Jesus says to this church. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now this is interesting, because unlike the church in Ephesus, who were very committed to orthodoxy, but over time were kind of growing cold, Thyatira was very interesting. Thyatira is this emerging, growing, dynamic church right in the heart of the city. And they were active. They were active. They had works of love. They they had works of patient endurance, works of faith. They had faith to see what was coming. They didn't just live by what they saw. If you wanted to get involved with a growing church in Thyatira where all the action was, where all the dynamic people were, you would join this church that Jesus was writing to. And this is precisely when the temptation to compromise and over-assimilate to their city came. When you're visible, when you're active, when you grow in influence, when you've been in your city a while, that's when the temptation to compromise begins to press itself. So how did this church in Thyatira slide into compromise and what was their way out? How do you get out of compromise? And how do you return to your first love? And how do you really seize your influence? How do you join Jesus' influence? Jesus is going to help them understand something very important. We need to understand it too. And that is that sharing in Jesus' influence means receiving Jesus' immune system. If you want to share in Jesus' influence wherever you are, it is nothing less than adopting and receiving his immune system. What does this mean? Well, think about your immune system. Okay, in in Chicago, where there's tons of viruses going around right now. Um, Your immune system makes it possible to have contact with the outside world. If you had nothing to filter out toxins, if you had nothing to filter out viruses, 
you would disintegrate in the presence of other people because your immune system wouldn't be able to, to stop and deal with and in some ways have a boundary with something that did not belong inside your body. It keeps toxins and viruses at bay. Um, you couldn't show up to life and have any influence at all. You couldn't show up to work. You couldn't show up to concerts. You couldn't show up to art shows. You couldn't show up to church. You couldn't show up anywhere if you did not have an immune system or if it was weakened. You would have to withdraw into an ever-shrinking private space with all kinds of rules and regulations for what it means to get close to you. You would have to be completely isolated. There would have to be a sanctuary around your body. Your immune system is actually what allows you to move into the world and have meaningful conversations with people who are not you, who don't have your values, who don't uh, have your body. We know that Jesus' way for us is not to withdraw into some private space with all kinds of rules where we never have to interact with any kinds of toxins, with anything different. That wasn't Jesus' way. He interacted with everybody. He interacted with people up and down the ladder. He interacted with lepers. He wasn't afraid of them, to get close to them. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid to have a conversation with Pontius Pilate. He wasn't afraid to enter the temple. He wasn't afraid to challenge the empire. And he had incredible influence. He continues to have incredible influence. Jesus' way is not a privatized faith. That is not Jesus' way. Jesus' Jesus's way is a actually very strong immune system that his father gave him. That actually gave him freedom to move about in this world in order to see it redeemed. Here's how it worked. When someone would challenge Jesus' identity, when someone challenged Jesus' mission, do you know what he said? That's not me. His own disciples said, ah, take a shortcut. You're not called to the cross. What did Jesus say to that disciple? Get behind me, Satan. And he recognized it as a temptation that had been given a voice from someone in his inner circle. And he said, no. He said, that's not me. That is the temptation of the enemy. And yes, it exists in our world, but I do not accept it. I utterly reject it. And that actually allowed him to take on our infirmities, to take on our diseases, and to heal us. But he did not accept every word that came to him. He did not accept every influence that came to him. He accepted the Father's influence, the Father's authority, the Father's word, the Father's integrity, and that anchored him. That was a ballast for him. That was his immune system. And that actually made his influence stronger. If we want to share in Jesus' influence, we have to accept his immune system. There is no other way. And that is a daily challenge in our city. We need that immune system. We need that same, what we might call, spiritual discernment to recognize, when am I being influenced right now? And actually, where am I called to be an influence? Is this a person I should let into my life? A media I should let into my life? A teacher I should let into my life? A podcast I should let into my life? A job I should accept? Or is this not from the Lord? Is this not part of his influence? Because it's different. It looks different than the normal course of influence in our city. At the end of the day, it's more influential and more just, more holy, more good, more true. So we need his immune system 
if we want to have influence. We need him to protect our identity, protect our integrity, keep it intact. And this is a hard idea for us because some of us have seen communities with autoimmune disease. Some, some of you in medicine, you know what autoimmune disease and how harmful it is. Autoimmune disease is when the immune system attacks the body. It doesn't attack viruses, it actually attacks, it's overactive. And it attacks healthy tissue, and attacks healthy organs. And it says, you're out, you're out, you're out, you said the wrong thing, you asked the wrong question, you gave the wrong look, you're not dressed the right way, you're out. Systems with autoimmune disease are bigoted on the outside and fearful on the inside. Incredibly fearful of someone being different. Incredibly fearful of, of uh, someone asking the wrong question. Not really eager to love, but eager, much more like that hospital room where you just has all kinds of rules to protect this body. Autoimmune disease kills the body. Autoimmune disease is harmful and bad. And some of us have interacted with communities like this. Where we've seen it. Or we've read news articles about it. We go, oh no, I do not want to be like those communities. I don't want to be like that Christian. I don't want to be like that person who has unloving boundaries, who is eager to reject. Communities like that give immune systems a bad rap. They do. Because bigoted communities are very different from discerning communities. There's a big difference. Judgmental communities are very different from communities that rightly judge in the Lord. Um, so you might be tempted to run the other way. Um, in fact, you might be inclined to just throw off all boundaries, throw off all discernment. All discernment must be bad. All discernment must be unloving. But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus exercised discernment. In some cases, Jesus did not tolerate ideas and the people that insisted on them to continue to exist in his church. And we need Jesus to teach us to have boundaries in the right way. Otherwise, we'll be one of the extremes. We won't have any boundaries or we'll have unloving boundaries. And we need discernment and help so that we can, with Jesus, be influential in the right way. So I want to give three insights on where seduction gets, takes root for us where the virus begins to take hold. It's right here in, this, in our test case in Thyatira. And first we find that seduction begins with a person. Seduction normally and usually begins with a person. Read with me in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. Now, I don't know if you have anyone in your life that calls himself a prophetess. Okay, maybe you do. And maybe they're an extraordinary person. I don't know. But we need to understand who, 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 who is Jezebel and why does Jesus seem to be so mean to her? Um, who's Jezebel? You know, uh, it was a real person. A real, a real uh, likely woman existing in this church. Maybe her name wasn't Jezebel. Um, Jezebel is actually a really famous figure from uh, the history of God's people. 
She actually wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't part of God's people. But um, she married an Israelite king. And, um, and she brought with her all kinds of ideas and, um, and, and spiritualities. And ultimately, she brought with her violence. It just took a long time for her Israelite king husband to, to realize she wants, she wants people within my community to die. It started with sex. It started with romance. It started slow. Jezebel is likely being referred to here because there was a woman in their community who was doing something similar. Now the thing is, um, the thing is that this woman, whoever she was, was totally influential in the church. And influential people usually aren't mean. Influential people usually are not um, cackling with evil smiles. <laughs> I'm gonna take you down. My name is Jezebel. <laughs> no, that's not what influential people do. We aren't likely to, to, to let someone like that influence us. Jezebel was likely a very influential, very kind, perhaps a charismatic leader. She was a great teacher. She was a great leader. People were listening to her teaching. People were following her. And, and, it, and it could be that, that she uh, was in this church for a long time. She was well known. She was respected. And so it would have been very tempting just to say, ah, you know, Jezebel, she's just got like a different way of calibrating spirituality and sexuality. You know what I mean? It's calibrated one way here, but she's got this interesting teaching about how you calibrate spirituality and sexuality, just shifting it a little bit. And it's actually quite interesting. Why not give her a chance? Why not just listen a little bit? It was, so, it was apparently very tempting. But you know what else was true about Jezebel? She was a self-appointed, non-accountable person. She was a self-appointed leader. She was a self-appointed teacher. And she wasn't accountable to anybody. Not to Jesus, not to his chosen leaders in that church, not to the great tradition, not to the teachings of the apostles. She wasn't accountable. Her new insights were so novel that she didn't need anybody to check her or to check her teachings. And you know what else? She was probably very culturally resonant. She probably had all kinds of friends and connections in Thyatira and the local guilds there. And, and those connections were everything. If you wanted to be part of the very uh, lucrative business of making purple dye that would be used in all kinds of cloth, purple was like the best color ever in, in Asia Minor. It was the most expensive dye, and they made it in Thyatira. Do you want to get in on that business? Well, Jezebel can help you get connected. She goes to the temples all the time. She knows all the leaders of the trade guilds, perhaps. Jezebel is a very influential, very believable, very likable, most likely, person who's having a very real impact on the church. Seduction usually starts with a person like this. Um, friends, who we bond with determines who we become. There is no other way if you're a human being. Who we bond with determines who we become. If you want to look at who you're becoming, look at the person that you most have opened your heart to. You don't have to know them personally. Maybe all you do is consume their books and teaching. 
Maybe all you do is look up to them from a distance. The heroes that we have in our life, the lovers we have in our life, the friends we admire, the person we want to be like, the person who occupies our daydreams is the person we are becoming. Maybe it's someone dynamic we want to follow. Maybe it's someone we want to become like, someone we can't disappoint. We're not allowed to disappoint that person. We very much want that person to like us. A word of acceptance from them means everything to us. It'll make our week. The person we bond with shapes who we love, what we love, the center of our loves. We are relational beings. We are made to bond. And most often what happens is that someone we bond with is influencing us more than we are influencing them. We must begin to ask, who do we love? Who do we look up to? And where are they taking us? We'll talk more about that in a minute. But seduction usually begins with a person. And then it evolves from there. Seduction begins with a person and then it evolves into practices. Pleasurable practices. Fun practices. The second half of verse 20 says, She's teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. And we talked about this last week, but here's how, here's how the games played in Asia Minor in the first century. If you want business, you go to the idol feasts. Because the idol feasts are where the local guilds meet. People who have connections to jobs and businesses and contracts, they go to the local idol feast where they worship Caesar and worship the local Hellenistic god, and they have huge feasts. And the first thing that you get is they, they, they sacrifice an animal to the God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Caesar, Lord, for making all this possible. They'd slit his throat, they'd throw it on the grill, and then they would hand out meat. And let me tell you, if you lived in Asia Minor in the first century, you were not eating meat unless you were going to these parties. The best, meat, the best food you would ever eat were in these temples. And so they'd bring out meat, and that feels good. And then they would bring out the drink. And you drink a little bit, and then you drink some more. And then another round, drink some more. And then eventually, you start hooking up with random people and prostitutes. Just they all come out. It's a big party. And then from there, you know what people say about you? You're culturally resonant. And also, you got the contract. You get wealthy, you get laid, you get buzzed, you get new friends. You're seen as maybe a pretty cool person. These are not hard practices to begin adopting. This is really fun, actually. I mean, Jezebel is really opening up my world, opening up my wallet, opening up my mind. I've never been more rich. I've never been more laid. I've never been more happy. I've never been more well-fed than when I met Jezebel. This is what seduction does. Seduction starts with a person, and then it evolves into practices. Those practices become habits. Habits become part of our life. Habits shape who we love. That's why we do liturgy every week. We get hooked. We get hooked. What ways have you been hooked? There are so many ways. There are multiplied ways since Thyatira was in existence. And they're all available to us here in Chicago. And it could be something as seemingly innocuous as ego recognition. 
at school, at work, someone who is really truly influencing what you love is praising you, and it feels so good. And, and it's shaping what you do. You don't even realize it, but it's shaping what you do, and it's shaping what you love, and it's shaping who you are and the values that you have. Now, we need recognition, no doubt about it. We need people that we look up to who can praise us and affirm us and bless us. That's how we grow. We have to be extremely careful with where we're getting our ego needs met. People liking us, people giving us props, peers, supervisors, cultural gatekeepers. There's a lot of them in Chicago. They're concentrated here. And flattery is one of the ways they shape their vision of the city of Chicago. Are you being flattered into their program? Companionship. It's also a lonely city. There are certain people that just like, all we have to do is change a couple of things. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we don't have to change a couple of things. But just being around them feels so good that we end up changing a couple of things for their romance, for their friendship, for their inclusion. Money is a way that we are seduced away. That can form practices. The pleasures, the pleasures, the pleasures of, of eating, drinking, Netflix, and sex. It's all available to us at very low cost. And we can so easily get hooked. Seduction, se- seduction begins usually with a person. And then it evolves into practices. And you know where it ends? It ends in sickness. It ends in sickness. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent. This is Jezebel. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works, of her works. Now again, we might be tempted to look at this and go, oh, what's Jesus? Is Jesus just, he wants to be mean? He's vengeful? Jesus is not vengeful. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, even verse 23, I know your works. I'm going to basically, I'm not going to stand in between you and what you want to do. I'm not going to stand in between you and the consequences of your choices. I won't. I I can. I I could. I've been doing that for Jezebel. I'm giving her time. But eventually, I'm not going to continue. She's chosen it. She wants it. I'm not... Jezebel's not a robot. You're not a robot. I'm not a robot. Jesus isn't going to force us to do anything. He will certainly invite us. Certainly invite us. And he invites the church in Thyatira. But he will not force anybody to do anything. And so Jesus says, okay, you have two options. You can say to me, thy will be done. Or, or eventually, I will say to you, thy will be done. You, you, want, you want sex? Jezebel, you want to lead the church astray? Thy will be done. I, I basically will, will, will let you experience the sickness of that. Um, another part of scripture says that the cost of sin is death. The, like the wages, the payment of sin is death. And, and we've, all, we've all seen that. We've all experienced that. And think about consumerism. Think about if, uh, if what you truly loved was just stuff. You couldn't get enough stuff. And you're like, I want that, I want that, and I really need that, that in order to feel good, to feel right. Um, eventually, your finances will die. <laughs> your retirement accounts, your savings, your credit history, 
will die if, if you don't stop. Eventually, if you don't stop, the space in your house will die. Have you ever seen the, the, uh, the show Hoarders? All the space in their house is taken away and they don't want to let go of anything. And then when the space in your house dies, your relationships die. People don't want to hang out with you anymore because all you value is stuff. You have no room to host anymore. You have no room in your soul to connect anymore. You've been connecting with stuff. This is true also. Take adultery, for instance. If you cheat on your spouse once, their trust in you will die. Maybe not forever. I mean, maybe it can be resurrected. In fact, that's the promise of the gospel, that he's making all things new and that there's forgiveness and restoration. But there's a certain death that happens. But if you continue and if you persist, your marriage will eventually die. If not legally, certainly emotionally and relationally. And then if you, if you keep going, you run the risk of STDs. You could die. The wages of sin is death. If you keep going down that path, you're going to be on sick bed eventually. And it's only by the grace of Jesus that we're not on our sick beds for the things that we choose that are not good for us. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, look, my immune system is for you, for your life, for your health, but I'm not going to force it on you. If you don't want it, I, I can't give it to you. But if you're too good to receive it, you'll get sick. You'll get that bug that's going around. And we've all been there physically, and we've all been there spiritually. No matter what our belief systems are, no matter what our belief systems aren't, we have violated, all of us, our sense of moral decency, haven't we? We've made choices. We've let loose our anger and our rage. We've hurt someone, and our relationships are sick. We've robbed someone else of their dignity, and we've robbed ourselves of our dignity in the process of taking advantage of someone who's weaker than us. Some of us have been two-faced in our relationships and in our life. We've been treacherous. Some of us have done character assassinations of people. In the name of helping someone else, we've, we've assassinated people's characters because we've talked about them in a disparaging way. We've cheated on our taxes. We've cheated with our eyes. We've cheated on our tests. We've cheated with our bodies, and we're sick. We've all contributed in a very real way to our own problems. I've done it, you've done it, we've done it. And Jesus, in this text, will call us to something that will restore our life and make us whole again, and that is the call to repent. Jesus says to repent. He, gives, he gave Jezebel an opportunity to repent, and he gives us an opportunity to repent as well. Repentance is essentially, it's a U-turn. Repentance is, uh, I was going here because I loved this. I love this person. I love this practice. I was entrenched. And all of a sudden, I hear the call of Jesus, a better way, a better city, a better set of practices, a better Lord, a better love. 
And I realized that he was my morning star. I realized that he could take away all my sicknesses and diseases. I realized that he could forgive every last thing I've ever done and give me a completely a new heart and a new spirit and a new immune system. And so I was going this way at 65 miles an hour and then I heard his voice and I put on the brakes and I made a U-turn. And I went right to the heart of Jesus. And I fell at his feet and, and I said, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. And he takes us and he cleanses us. And he says, welcome home, daughter. Welcome home, son. I have a plan for you. I have a calling for you. I will give you the morning star. And we go on his way. We let him set the direction for our life in Chicago. We let him set our habits and our loves. Verse 24 says this, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching... Who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. I'm so glad that Jesus said this to Thyatira because you know what he was referencing? His easy, non-judgmental, non-moralistic yoke. When you wear the yoke of Jesus, it is not a burdensome way of life. Sometimes it stings, especially when our old patterns die and our old loves begin to shift. This is the easiest, in some way, the easiest way to live. The easiest way to wholeness and health is by following a Savior that's not pushing us from behind, but inviting us, but giving us an invitation that is not a heavy burden. It's actually a very light burden. It's a life-giving burden. Spiritual discernment does begin with a person. It begins with the person of Jesus. It begins with asking him, Jesus, I need your scriptures and I need your Holy Spirit. And actually, I need the sacramental solidarity of your church to help me make decisions. I need to be able to look to you, my morning star, and let you reorder my loves. And let you give me a vision for Chicago. And let you help me make big decisions about my life. Even when it hurts, even when it stings, even when it's difficult. Then we begin to bond with him. We begin to become like him. No longer looking up to the Jezebels to give us affirmation. We actually look to Jesus and those who can approximate him in his ministry and be his ambassadors in our life. Spiritual discernment begins with a person, but then it deepens with practices. It deepens with practices. Lent is a whole series of practices where we repent of our sins where we fast from things that are no longer life-giving, though they may be pleasurable, and we begin to feast on the words of God and feast on the life of Christ. So we adopt the practices of silence and solitude. We adopt the practices of weekly worship. We adopt the practices of opening up the scriptures and, and reading them in a prayerful way. We adopt the practices of taking big decisions to the family of God. Spiritual discernment begins with a person, deepens in practices, and eventually... Those practices become influence. Spiritual discernment ends with influence. We train for this authority. I'll read you what I read at the beginning, verse 25. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and they will rule with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, 
even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give to him or her the morning star. So again, I want to ask you, do you want to have a positive impact on Chicago? Do you want to be a part of ending segregation and corruption and homelessness in Chicago? That begins with spiritual discernment. Jesus says to the one who who endures, if you can be faithful with the Jezebels in your life, with the idol feasts in your life, you are training for influence on a wider scale. We cannot shortcut this. We cannot shortcut small influence with big influence. Small moments of discernment with big moments of discernment. We can trust our influence to Jesus. He is training us for it in Lent. In what seem like private practices, in what seem like meaningless things. He is actually giving us his heart, his spirit, and his discernment. Because once we practice in his discernment, we are training for his influence. Let us all come to Jesus as we pray together. Jesus, will you give us your immune system? Will you give us the